Picture a world where costs are down, profits are up, and customers are clamoring at your door. You're listening to Let's Get Up to Business from Jordan Law. Our interviews with business owners, service providers, and area experts can teach you how to create a world of success and profitability. If you're looking for an attorney to assist in your business formation, employment agreements, or other legal business needs, contact Jordan Law at 407-906-5529. You can also reach us on the web at jordanlawfl.com. Jordan Law, we protect you and your business. Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Ostroff, your business law and personal injury attorney here in for the next half an hour, sunny Orlando, Florida, before it starts pouring again. And this is Let's Get Up to Business, our podcast turned Facebook live show. Joining us today is one of our state house reps, Coach P, who represents the Avalon Park area and Summer Brevard County. Am I correct in that? Kind of. I, I have Lake Nona as well, and uh, that, that whole swath of Southeast Orange County. And then once I get to Avalon, I have all of East Orange County. So from Osceola to Seminole County border. Gotcha. Okay. So even even more constituents than I expected. And he's going to talk to us about a lot of the economic stuff that's coming up from COVID, some of the budgets, uh, and everything along those lines. So it'll be some really helpful and interesting information for our business owners and our fellow attorney listeners here in Central Florida, and I guess really throughout Florida, 
Um, so I'm not going to do a pitch at the beginning because I think we have too esteemed of a guest for me to talk that much longer. So take us away, Coach P. Thank you, Jordan. So uh, I think probably the most appropriate thing to talk about is uh, what our budget is going to look like currently because uh, so what the money we're spending now uh, is money that we're currently generating as well um, and the money that or the the uh, revenue that we're going to generate over the next couple of years or the lack thereof of, gen of revenue uh, because of the pandemic and uh, those of us here in central florida have been hit the hardest so osceola has the highest unemployment rate in the state and orange county has the second highest unemployment rate in the state so we are the epicenter of um, of the loss of jobs because of the pandemic here in Central Florida. So we had our um, our chief economist, Amy Baker, uh, presented to us, I'll say probably about three or four weeks ago, and kind of gave us an update on where we were um, and the projections of where they think we will be. And uh, the process of um, uh, you know, crunching all those numbers isn't something that's just done by her staff and her office, but they take a look, they, they get uh, consultation from, um, from national organizations, uh, other companies out there, and they compare their results to try to get the best. It's the, the most compact and most efficient analysis of, of, uh, budget projections for the state of Florida. So the good news is, is, uh, we, between the money that we were able to put away during last um, during the last session, we we put away about just over three hundred million dollars um, in the event that we got hit economic. We got hit hard economically by by uh, COVID, which we did. In addition to that, there was another about two to three hundred million dollars of um, of spending that was vetoed by the governor, which was a good thing. Uh, if you were on the veto list, then not so good. But for the overall health, the economic health of our state, it was very good because that gives us. You know, around six hundred million dollars to um, to offset the losses that we that we got in those last couple of quarters of the fiscal year. And so, just to uh, just to jump in for a second, so one of the ones that hits close to home for us is we were supposed to get new judges uh, this year for Orange uh, County. And so, what the governor did that I thought was really awesome was he vetoed the funding for the judges, but not the actual positions. So that makes it a lot easier for us to get those judges once we're not running such a, a shortfall. And I thought that was a very uh, interesting and you know, extra awesome decision in a terrible situation. Good, yeah, and and he did something else that um, was uh, was a great decision as well. So we, in our in uh, last year's budget, the legislature funded the Sadowski Fund, and for those of you who don't know Sadowski, um, it's a uh, trust fund that's created uh, for affordable housing, and I won't go into it, but it it, it does do a lot of good to um, offset the cost of housing for builders um, and to provide assistance for those who are trying to purchase homes uh, as first-time home buyers. Um, and it was a funding of about $349 million, I think, give or take. And the governor, there's two uh, pots of money. There's what's called SHIP and what's called SALE. They're both acronyms. The governor was able to veto one of them because he was receiving CARES Act dollars that were fairly flexible for housing. And so he, he used those CARES uh, Act dollars um, to backfill the the amount that he vetoed, so he was able to um, take away dollars in the form of a veto, so that he could have greater discretion with it and be able to use it for other parts of our economy that needed it, um, uh, and and that the CARES Act probably didn't address or or was too rigid to address uh, some other areas. So that was a great a, a great kind of um, uh, 
uh, audible that was played by by the governor. Um, in addition to that, we also have um, our rainy day fund, our reserves, which we have uh, right around $4 billion in our reserves. And so we have that money that we can use as well. So this year was fine. We didn't have to go back to a special session to redo the budget, uh, thankfully, because we we were we prepared for it. And uh, the governor made some good decisions and we were able to offset the losses to our revenue. Now, the, the projected losses in the next couple of years, uh, our chief economist is Amy Baker, and she says uh, we're looking at 2 to $3 billion over the next two years, uh, which is a lot of money. So our budget's typically, last year was just over $92 billion. So uh, we may you know, have a shortfall of $2 billion uh, or so in the next year or two. Um, and it's projected that we'll be out of this. Well, it's projected that we will be closer to where we were before the pandemic uh, in about two to three years, I was going to say that we um, we will be out of the recession, but we were actually already out of the recession because the way that's measured is at, at the moment where we're no longer falling behind and we're start we're starting to move forward, even if it's not where we were before. As long as we're moving forward, we're no longer in a recession. So at this point, we're not in a recession. Our unemployment rate keeps getting uh, uh, smaller, um, and uh, people are getting more jobs and people are spending more money. Uh, you know, Disney opened up, Universal opened up. And 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 more people are are visiting the state of Florida, uh, but that's one of the reasons why obviously uh, Central Florida has been the hit, hit the hardest because our tourism industry has been hit the hardest. Um, so when you talk about this this two billion dollar deficit, is that including what we have in reserve to put towards it, or that's not including that? It's not including that, and so um, there there are rules to our reserve dollars, and I'm not an expert at it, but but I what I do know is that. Uh, there has to be something that so the reserves are used in the event like a hurricane hits, the pandemic hit. Uh, we could have used the reserve dollars during the pandemic. I'm not so sure we can use the reserve dollars uh, a year from now or two years from now unless a natural disaster occurs. And that's where we pull the money from. So uh, the, the reserves are in there not for us to use whenever we want to. But there's certain things that trigger the reserve and um, the, we have to have that that trigger in order to be able to use it. And so. Um, we can always go back and change um, the the requirements of the reserves because it's all legislatively done. So if we want to, we can make those changes as well. And those are conversations we'll have. But um, there are other ways of creating revenue. Um, one of them is we can uh, agree on a compact with our our Indian tribes. So we have for the last, I think, three years, our compact, which is our our um, uh, our negotiations with the tribes and how much that they have to pay the state uh, um, for for their ability to have certain gaming and gambling within the state of Florida uh, ran out three years ago, and we have yet to, um, uh, you know, come into to any of agree any of a any of a, an agreement as to what that that uh, amount will be. So they haven't paid anything over the last three years. But usually it's about $300 million that we're leaving on the table. So we can generate an additional $300 million just by signing a compact with our Native American tribes. Um, we can get another three to $400 million uh, just by uh, allowing for uh, any internet sales to be taxed uh, for a company that's outside the state of Florida, which we are the only state in the country that does not uh, um, levy that tax uh, for the sale of anything that's purchased on the internet. And so that's been a, um, a, a policy debate since, since I got elected. I remember when I ran for office, learning about that and supporting it. 
And so we're able to, hopefully that's something that'll move forward this year. Uh, it was sponsored by a Republican lawmaker last year, which is a good sign. And there was broad support for it. A lot of co-sponsors on either side of the aisle. And uh, we'll see how the Speaker of the House and the Senate President this year feel about that. But seeing that we have a pretty tough crunch for dollars, uh, it might be something I would imagine is would, that will be on the table as far as options to uh, generate more revenue. Yeah, it's interesting because I know, um, you know, when obviously when this first took place, Florida stepped in faster than the PPP loans or the EIDLs with a lot of that state support. And everybody was talking about that's because of our experience with hurricanes and just having to have that, you know, disaster relief assistance on a, on a pretty quick turnaround. Um, which obviously then from a federal level, there's just no way that the SBA or any of those organizations would be ready for the entire country all at once, regardless of how good they are at it. But it's just it's been interesting to see Florida's, you know, our ability to pivot a little bit better than most other states because we're used to hurricanes for better or yeah. worse. So what other um, so I guess I guess let me flip this question. So how is this going to impact our average Central Florida business owner. I mean, what do we have to look forward to or not look forward to over the next couple of years based upon the information that you're getting from Tallahassee? So I, I, the biggest impact on the Central Florida business isn't going to be because of the decisions we make in Tallahassee. It's going to be on how quickly uh, we can get past the pandemic. Uh, you know, consumer confidence is what drives uh, people to, you know, pick up their family, purchase, you know, tickets, plane tickets to fly to Orlando and uh, spend a week uh, visiting our theme parks and our beaches. And, um, you know, whether they're flying in or driving in, they have to feel confident that their family's, their family's health is going to be safe when they come here. And um, I'm not so sure that our country is at that point just yet. Um, and, and we'll get there, I believe, as soon as that there's a viable vaccine that, um, that can be distributed to the majority of Americans um, and, that the, and as soon as the majority of, of Americans uh, are willing to take that vaccine. And um, w that's when we'll see uh, um, our, our area, our specific area recover, you know, because it's, um, you know, even if our running our theme parks at a, at a certain percentage, whether it's 30 percent or 50 percent, there's still a lot of businesses that, that aren't going to be able to sustain, um, you know, sustain that because it's just does the volume's not high enough. And it's not just the theme parks, but it's our cruise ships as well. We have the uh, second largest cruise terminal. Um, in the world is over at uh, Port Canaveral. So it's the second bus busiest cruise terminal. And right now there isn't a single cruise that's that's leaving. And um, I forgot when they, I think it's March that they said that they're going to open back up and go 50% and maybe sooner. But um, but that, that hurts our economy as well. That's a $3 billion economic driver on the Space Coast that's you know, 45 minutes from our attractions. Right. No, and that's the... Um... You know, that's the interesting thing about Central Florida is, you know, you talk about our, our connectedness to everything, although, you know, Orlando is not beachfront. You've got, you know, an hour and a half in one direction and an hour or so in the other direction. Yeah. Get to a number of those things. And so you get a lot of people that will cross the state um, or fly in for a cruise, but spend some time at Disney or Universal or one of our hotels. So it's just it's it's crazy to see how, you know, one I mean, obviously, COVID's not a little thing, but how, you know, one little change over here affects you know, millions and millions of people coming to the area over there. Sure. Well, you know, one of the things I would say is, you know, I, I've been a um, a vocal uh, advocate for people wearing masks, for social distancing, uh, for just making smart decisions. The pandemic's real. It, it um, uh, you don't want to get sick, and you don't want to 
run the risk of your life being in danger or passing it on to someone who has pre pre-existing conditions or um, and and could potentially has a, has a higher likelihood of of uh, dying from uh, the pan from COVID. Um, but that being said, I do think that we've done a good job of allowing for um, our larger industries to determine uh, when and how they're going to reopen, like Disney and Universal and SeaWorld. Um, even with our, our restaurants, we, we allowed them to stay open, but only at a certain uh, capacity or percentage of capacity. And, and now they're, they can be at full capacity. And I've seen some restaurants have said that, that uh, they're going to require um, all of their staff to continue wearing masks. And anyone who walks in, as long as uh, they're not eating, of course, needs to wear a mask as well. Um, and and I, I think that um, giving them the uh, flexibility to be in greater control of their businesses and their industries um, has helped us here in the state of Florida. If you compare us to California, where uh, you know their their um, their state lockdown or shutdown has uh, been a lot more extreme, you know Disney hasn't been able to open at all. Neither has Universal or SeaWorld, and um, you know we we have, our economy is faring a lot better because of it. Yeah, it's just uh, everything okay? Yeah, my wife was leaving and giving me a kiss. Oh, there we go. Um, no, it's just it's interesting to me how many restaurants that we've seen that are still going to stay at the fifty percent capacity even though they no longer have to. Yeah. Uh, because they've they've accommodated it. I mean, however, you know, God bless them. I don't know how how many businesses are built to only be able to take half as many people as normal. Um, but it's just it's a it's a real credit to our area that we've been able to make those pivots and adapt. Well, and, and you're right. So it's not just our area, but um, but as an entrepreneur, you know, you have to be creative and you have to adapt as well. You know, this is the the new normal for us, at least for a short period of time. And if you're going to be successful, you have to figure out what that model is going to be like. Uh, there's a, so I, I have the city of Titusville. Titusville has a great brewery there called Playa Linda Brewing Company. And, um, you know, the, the Playa Linda um, and the wine bar, that's a couple of uh, uh storefronts down from it, uh, decided they were going to uh, get a food truck out there or start, in they increased the amount of food that they served so that they could stay open because bars had to close. But if you, a certain uh, percentage of um, of uh, the money you were taking in was because of food, then you could stay open. And so they were doing stuff like that, having more outdoor seating, uh, having, um, you know, better curbside pickup, uh, advertising curbside pickup, you know, my wife and I were fortunate that, um, you know, I work for, for a virtual school, Florida virtual school. So, you know, I was working from home already and our business exploded because of, of the pandemic. And uh, my wife has a nonprofit, so she was able to work from home. And so since both of us feel fortunate that we were able to still have income coming in, uh, you know, we every week, at least once or twice a week, we try to do uh, curbside pickup so we can help out a local business. Yeah, our uh, our buddy Rob Agrusa, I think, had the uh, the takeout of popcorn. I was just tracking all these restaurants that I've never been to. That I'm like, all right, I'm, <laughs> I'm adding this one to the list. But no, I mean, it's just it's you know, obviously the situation sucks. You know, between the amount of people that have died, the economic impact, the just everything from it. But it's just it's been so heart heartening in a positive way to see all of these businesses come together to see you know Park Ave. They closed down uh, they closed down Park Ave, so all the restaurants could move outdoor seating into the roadway to have people there. I mean, it's just, it's been, it's been really nice to see people come together to, you know, help keep these mom and pop shops up, either supporting them or, or going there or working for there. Yeah. You know, even so it's, real quick, um, talking about mom and pop, there's a, um, uh, a running store called Track Shack 
And Track Shack puts on uh, all of the large races, 5Ks, 10Ks, Disney Marathon, all the Disney events. It's a great organization. Um, uh, John and Betsy Hughes uh, started it back in 19, uh, early 70s, late 70s. I, I don't want to um, age them here, but, um, you know, it's, it's a tough industry when, you know, you, the bulk of your dollars are made from a store and from people uh, jamming into a, uh, you know, a, a closely packed street and, and running and sweating and, you know, breathing all kinds of stuff into the air. And so they started doing all their races virtual and obviously started selling online. But, um, you know, much like uh, you said, you know, I saw a lot of people, especially on social media, um, sharing their their page and, and sharing their virtual race on there. And encouraging people to, um, you know, purchase their shoes from them or, or, you know, sign up for one of the races because we, you know, they're they're an icon in our community and they've done so much to help our community. You know, now it's time for us to give back to a lot of these small businesses who have kept our our city running. Yeah, and shout out to an earlier episode we had Chris Hughes, their son, on to talk about a lot of that stuff. Um, same, I just, th- I remember going into Track Shack probably like five years ago and talking to Chris about like a specific pair of New Balance sandals and knew exactly <laughs> what I was talking about and we commiserated they no longer existed. Um, you know, it's just, it's, yeah, no, they're, yeah. they're a great asset to our community and I'm glad to see that they've been able to make those pivots. So yeah. before we get into, um, you know, what people can do for you or how people can be more involved, just can you give us a little bit of your backstory? I know obviously sure. for virtual school and, and then being a house rep. Yeah, so I um, before I got into uh, public office, I was a teacher. So I was uh, 15 years social studies teacher, so mainly taught American government, American history, all at Colonial High School. And I was the head track and cross-country coach there uh, for all those years as well. And I uh, born and raised here in Orlando, uh, grew up on the west side of town, went to Dr. Phillips High School, um, was a pretty good runner in high school, so I got a scholarship to run at UCF and uh, graduated from UCF and started teaching. And and that's uh, basically been my life. I was, you know, track and field and cross country was everything I did from the age of 12 until I won my my um, political race at the age of 40. And um, it's uh, been an interesting experience. I never thought I'd be out of teaching and coaching, but um, but this, um, you know, I always feel that uh, God puts you where you need to be or where he wants you to be to do things uh, for a certain reason. And um, I wanted to make the most out of my time in the legislature. I'm going into my last term. So um, I've served three terms and we're term limited at four and, um, you know, proud of a lot of the things that I've been able to do. Um, some of them are bills that I've passed. Some of them are just bills that I was able to keep from passing uh, or keep from surfacing because, um, you know, they probably weren't in the best interest of, of our communities. Um, married to a wonderful wife who runs a nonprofit. We have uh, two girls, a 20 month old and a 12 year old. So in your in your twilight term, in your final term, in your, uh, I'll keep the curse words to myself. I had a couple of judges have some really good lines about what you can get away with at the end. Um, anything, you know, any last minute goals you're trying to make sure you accomplish or is it just COVID thrown everything for such a crazy loop that it's different? Yeah, no, I, you know, there's still a lot of policy issues. Um, trying to bring money back in, into the community is going to be tougher. There's, um, you know, it's, I, I represent, I know I've said it before, but the city of Titusville, we sit along the Indian River Lagoon, and I wanted to do something um, impactful. We, we try to get money in the budget uh, every year uh, that goes towards the lagoon. Um, I always tell people every year we spend at least $100 million uh, on the lagoon. 
minimum um, because we have the um, uh, National Estuary Program, so the NEP, which the Indian River Lagoon is, um, gets funding through the DEP of the state of Florida. The St. John's Water Management District has funding just for the lagoon. Um, we have uh, different bills that are, are focused on uh, water quality that go to the lagoon. And then each individual member that serves along the lagoon, and that's five counties, so that's like 15 of us, I think, maybe 16 of us, we all have personal projects that we fund for the lagoon. So the lagoon is getting a lot of money, um, even though it's, it's um, you know, if, if you've been fishing there for a long time or, or vacationing out there, or going to the beach over Playa Linda or Coco or Satellite, wherever you go, um, you may think differently just because, you know, we still have fish kills and we still have brown algae, uh, but it's not because of a lack of, of resources that we're pouring into it. There's a lot more that goes into water quality than just um, money that's poured into it. But um, that, that would have been one of the pet projects that I've, I would have worked with the city of Titusville to do something significant that would have impacted uh, the northern part of the lagoon where Titusville's at. But I'm not so sure that I'm going to get an opportunity to do that. Um, as far as policy, you know, being a teacher, um, a lot of the policy that, that I'm focused on is for public education. And so um, there's a couple of things that I still want to get accomplished in in uh, education. Um, we, we had a great year last year being able to have the highest increase in teacher salaries or money that goes towards teacher salaries because it still has to be negotiated between the union and the district. Uh, but we allocated an additional $500 million for teacher salaries in addition to the $300 million that typically goes to teacher salaries on an annual basis. Um, do you want to get some stuff done in healthcare? Uh, you know, healthcare is going to be a big issue. Whenever you see a um, unemployment rise, you see you also see um, people who are eligible to enroll into Medicaid rise, and Medicaid is the single largest driver of cost for our state budget. Um, so we're going to have a drain on our state budget because of uh, people who have been approved or enrolled in Medicaid now. And so we're going to you're going to see a lot of changes. Potentially a lot of changes made to the Medicaid program. Hopefully none of them take us in backwards and, and we can do things that are thoughtful and and um, uh, give people access to quality health care as well. But, um, you know, one of the things I worked on the last two years was um, artificial intelligence and the impact it's going to have on our business climate and on, on different industries. And what's interesting is uh, most of the economists have said that by 2030, you know, we'll see this massive disruption in uh, in the workforce because of artificial intelligence. What the pandemic has done, it has accelerated that where you're seeing more of that disruption happening now. And what would have happened by 2030 is going to happen by 2025. And so, you know, you're, you're looking at a, at a high percentage of our of certain industries will be replaced uh, by uh, machine technology. But in addition to that, you'll see new industries flourish because of machine technology. And so it's making sure that we have uh, the talent to be able to um, fill those jobs, those new technological, technological jobs, uh, but also changing how we do education and how we view education uh, because those, what's needed, the, the um, skills that are needed for those jobs are going to be sh you know, shifting and changing you know, every two to four years. So you're, you're going to have to be doing ongoing education, upskilling if you're in a certain job and you need to go to a different one. And, um, you know, we want to be able to make sure that uh, whatever um, credentialing or certification you're doing for um, your industry, that it's tied to a state college or a tech school or a university so you can, um, you know, you can um, 
um, group those together and get, you know, either an AA or, or a bachelor's, like a second bachelor's, or uh, have it goes towards a master's degree so that there's value to it. Yeah, I was really interested to see the, um, I think it's a K through 12, the STEM charter that they put in mm-hmm. over in, uh, on the west side of Orlando. Yeah. You know, our, our neighbor sends their kids, uh, sends their kid there. And it just, it's, it's crazy to see. I mean, here's somebody in elementary school who's learning, you know, the very basics of coding <laughs> to put all these things together, which, you know, put her in a really good position when a lot of the jobs are uh, working on the computers that replace the current jobs that exist now. So. Yeah, and we, we made some changes. It was either two years ago or three years ago to your our state requirements for graduation. And so coding can now be substituted for your foreign language. So um, instead of being required to take Spanish or French or whatever other foreign language you're taking, you can take coding for two semesters, um, and that'll satisfy the requirement. That way you can properly chat with Skynet when uh, Terminator becomes a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so speaking of which, there's um, um, Orange County um, and Lockheed Martin partnered with Orange County. Gosh, I don't know how many years back, but um, Lockheed uh, granted them $2.3 million to put a, um, a um, curriculum called Project Lead the Way into every school in Orange County, K-12. through And it's, um, it's a project-based STEM curriculum that's in each of those science classes, and it's amazing, you know. Um, you know, I'm not just saying it because I was a teacher in Orange County, but Orange County does a lot of great things. And there's, like you said, to, to the credit of that uh, STEM charter, that STEM magnet uh, or charter school that they created, it's um, th- they have some pretty innovative things in Orange County for our students. So as we get towards the end of our chat today, I want to I want to flip the question: What can we do for you? You know, how can we stay in touch? What involvement can we do to help you achieve some of these goals for your your last term? You know, sure. what can we do? So the, the one thing I would suggest to everyone is look up who your state uh, representative is and who your state senator is and try to develop a relationship with them, a uh, positive one, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, reach out to them. And, and um, you know, once we get past COVID uh, or even now, I mean, some people are taking meetings. Uh, they're not as reluctant as, as some of us are. But um, schedule coffee with them and uh, just sit down and, and um, maybe bring some issues that are relevant to what you're doing. Um, um, you know, um, whenever I met with an attorney over the last couple of years, it was always about not having enough, uh, enough judges in, in, um, in our courts here in central Florida. Um, and I know one of the, I think we, we had a business court at one point and then we, we lost it because we didn't have enough judges and we had to redirect that judge somewhere else. Um, and so, you know, I'm sorry. It's back now. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so my point is re- reach out to your elected official, have a relationship with them. Uh, because I know at least for myself and I know other, there are other colleagues that feel the same way I do. You know, I I may know a lot about education, uh, but even with education, I reach out to people who are in admin so I can have a different perspective um, on education. But I definitely want to hear from everyone. You never know when I might pick up the phone and say, Hey, I, you know, I I have to vote on a, uh, on a bill that's making changes to criminal law. And um, I reach out to, you know, I just met a, I I struck a great relationship with a, a criminal attorney uh, defense attorney. And, um, and I call them on the phone because I want to make the right choice. And just reading the staff analysis, you might as well be, I might as well be reading something in Mandarin Chinese. I'm probably not going to understand it. So having that relationship is key because it, it puts some, it allows someone in my position to make a better decision. So reach out to whoever your elected official is and have that relationship. 
I like it. And I, I, I like the, uh, hopefully it's a positive one. Cause I can imagine the amount of <laughs> ridiculous, I'm sure you get ridiculous hate mail that is like, Oh my God, you know, Trump just did this or Rick Scott just did that or whatever. And you're like, that's not my thing. I have no, no. say. Hey, hey, listen. And, and because I'm a Republican, they clump me into whatever the top of the ticket does. So like, I'll get emails that say you're going to hell, you're a murderer, you're a killer. You know, it could be, it, it's the most random things. And, but you know what I do? If someone, if, whether you send me something positive or negative, if your phone number's on there, you're getting a phone call from me. So if, if you were talking tough uh, in an email and your phone and the phone number's on there, I, you get a phone call from me and I'll call you back until I get you. So voicemail is not good enough for me. I want to talk to that person. And you'd be surprised how many people's uh, tune and tone change when they're talking to you on the phone. Well, because you show that you care. I mean, that's the, I think so many of us look at our elected um, officials as these, you know, faceless people that are supposed to represent us, but don't ever reach out. And then obviously, you know, um, you and, and a lot of your colleagues are just so much better at it than I expect, just because of the millions of things you're doing, plus having another job, plus having a family, plus everything else. So Yeah. So so I'll let you know, I I um, had double booked at one o'clock today, I had, had this meeting, and then uh, the CEO of our company uh, wanted to meet with me at one o'clock today. And I, I pushed his meeting till Friday so I can meet with you guys. Hey, I appreciate <laughs> it. All right. So um, anything else that you want to make sure we cover? I mean, obviously you're a wealth of knowledge. You got tapped into the economic pulse from a, uh, from an elected official side, but anything else that you want to make sure we talk about? You know, just, um, you know, politics is so divisive now and, and, you know, you, hopefully it's not, you know, permeating into our communities and, and neighbors are, are reluctant to speak to each other. Or, you know, if you mention one candidate or the other, you know, you, you, um, you know, you get dirty looks or, or worse, someone gets in an argument with you. So like, to me, the most important thing is just kind of, you know, be open-minded, be kinder. Um, I know our, our, our uh, national politics is a huge shit show right now. Um, but, um, but that's not the way it is in, in all levels of politics and, and our communities shouldn't be like that. And, and we shouldn't have those relationships with our neighbors. So, you know, just try to be kinder to each other. All right. And then are you on the, are you on the ballot this year? I am on the ballot. I'm on the ballot every two years. Every two. Okay. <laughs> I remember waving signs with uh, you and a lot of your other, uh, sign waivers two yeah. years ago. And I just, everybody was super nice. And it was amazing to me. You had you know, UCF students who knew everything about you and everything about your position. <laughs> well, it wasn't just like, you guys didn't just go on a campus and hire somebody to wave a sign. Like these people were truly, uh, you know, coach B advocates. Yeah. So, all right. Well, good. Uh, best of luck. Thank you. Ballots are out now. So if you have a, uh, if you have an at-home ballot and you're in the, uh, the district in that area, the west side of, or the east side of Orange County into Titusville Brevard, you know, please go ahead and log a vote for Coach B. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Yep. You guys have a great day. You too.
You've been listening to Let's Get Up to Business from Jordan Law. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast and would consider sharing the show. We would also love an honest five-star review through iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcatcher you use. If you are interested in being a guest of the podcast, please contact producer Mark through email at mark at jordanlawfl.com. Use the subject line podcast guest in your email. Thank you. We look forward to speaking to you again soon.